This podcast is made possible by Sage People and U.S. Bank. Hello, this is Frank Collett, CFO of SkyTap, and you are listening to CFO Thought Leader. This is episode 433. Hi, Jack here. As you know, I've lately been asking our finance leader guests about their strategic data. How are they sourcing it? Are they making changes to the organization to facilitate the flow of data? Are they adopting new technologies? Have they appointed a super controller or a data champion to help advance the effort? Well, only a few years ago, I wasn't as focused on data despite the fact that many of our CFO guests were pointing us that direction all along. Karen O'Byrne, CFO of Modernizing Medicine, was one of those guests. This episode first ran in July of 2016. Hope you enjoy it. It's not just a finance operation that is wallowing in data. It's marketing. It's HR. We have more HR data than, than we've ever had. HR was every function of the organization is a, is a, is a data-driven function today. So I think the finance function has expanded in, because we've always used data um, to help the rest of the organization really know how to, how to find their own KPIs, how to interpret them, how to analyze them, and how to best use them. And I use HR as a particular example because that's one many people don't don't think about in terms of data and metrics. Listen to our complete interview with Karen after these words from our sponsor. Hello, Jack here. I have a message for you from the folks at Sage People. Decisions about your people should be driven by data. But is your HR department still using spreadsheets to keep track of your people? It's time to move to cloud. Understand what makes your employees tick. Know your best performers or determine absence trends. All with a cloud HR and people system. Sage People empowers organizations to respond quickly and easily to changing priorities in today's shifting world of work. It means you can make sure your workforce is able to adapt while staying connected and engaged wherever they are. Discover how to get instant insights at your fingertips. Visit us today at sageintech.com forward slash sage dash people. Hello, we're speaking with Karen O'Byrne, CFO of Modernizing Medicine. Karen, welcome. Thank you very much, Jack. I appreciate your having me. So this company only began in 2010. It's grown quite a bit, and it's an interesting concept we'd love to explore with you. But first, we always like to find out a little bit about uh, our CFO guests and discover uh, what they believe the career experiences were that prepared them uh, for the, the CFO role. What would those have been, Karen? Sure. I mean, I think in terms of milestones, as I look back on my career, the the ones that that made the most difference were um, first my move from public accounting over to a company called Vario back in 1999 in the middle of the dot-com days. 
uh, I had been in public accounting for nine years and, and knew I didn't want to stay in it, but um, an opportunity came along when I took the leap for and jumped into a, an incredibly crazy and fun industry um, as my first foray out of out of public. Um, that was a, a pretty big milestone in my career that, that really drove uh, a path for me that kind of put me where I am today. I think Secondly, uh, two months after I took that job, my boss quit, uh, and and we and I just sort of jumped into the position and started taking a leadership role there, uh, much more quickly than I ha- would have anticipated. But uh, somebody had to do it, so uh, I, I learned a lot on the fly and and uh, kind of made it up as I went. And we were building a rapidly growing company at that time again in a in a crazy industry in the dot com days. Um, and then I'd say thirdly, when I left Vario and moved over to a company called Campus Management Corporation, which was a healthcare uh, a software company in the ed- education space, uh, was the first time I really had the, the CFO role and led the entirety of the finance organization. And I think those three things led me on this path and taught me an awful lot. So let's find out about modernizing medicine and I guess uh, you were there from the beginning, from what I understand. And what was the type of role at modernizing medicine that you wanted to create for a finance uh, executive like yourself? What was it that uh, attracted you? Well, one of the most interesting and scary things about joining Modernizing Medicine was that exactly that it was a, it was a tiny company. I was I, I came in when we were about 20 employees, so it wasn't from the from the very beginning, but nearly. Um, and but what was so exciting about the opportunity was exactly that it was the first time I would have I would be able to actually build the finance organization and and contribute to building the company from literally the ground up. So so it wasn't it wasn't a, a situation where i was going and reorganizing or or um or changing i could actually build and i had had significant experience before uh i had a lot of lessons learned through uh, all the growth of the companies that i had been at and so i felt like i was in a position where i could really see around the corners and prepare for the growth because i'd lived it before uh so that was that was what was exciting to me about coming into the role um, and I think secondarily, I had been a CFO and in a leadership position for a long time with with larger organizations where a lot of the work I was doing was facilitating and delegating, and 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 I really missed actually producing models and spreadsheets and and digging my heels in and, and rolling up my sleeves and. So it was, it was a way to kind of get back into that again, get back to my roots, and and contribute to you know the sort of nuts and bolts. So I want to get a better sense of your arrival. You mentioned there were only 20 people. There's something about startups. There's something about new opportunities that come forward. But there's also a lot of risk. Yeah. Um, how did you sort of assess this opportunity? What was it that you said, you know, other opportunities I might not take a stab at, but this one I am. Uh, what, what, what was it that, that made you think, yes, this is the opportunity I'd pursue? Yes, and I, I can definitely relate to that feeling. I mean, uh, coming into a startup this size is is absolutely risk for for anybody, but particularly a CFO who 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 has been in that role before. Uh, as we all know, startups 
often fail, and that's not something any of us want to have on our resumes. Uh, but I approached it the same way that investors approach it when VCs are looking at startups to invest in. Uh, how how strong is the management team? How how credible is it is the business plan uh, and the product? Is it something uh, that I could feel passionate about? And so when the opportunity came up, uh, first thing I did was come up and meet with Dan Kane and Michael Sherling, who are our founders. And Dan Kane certainly was someone I knew from the education space uh, and had, you know, incredibly well-regarded uh, reputation in that community and, and, and obviously having built built Blackboard uh to, to the size that it was and to the success that it was, they were the management team. And having met with them and knowing their backgrounds was the, the single biggest factor to me in coming in and making the decision to join a company. Again, it, it mirrors very much how investors come in and look at the, look at the organization. Uh, I fell in love with the product and, and the mission of the company, which is, again, something that is incredibly important. Because the time and effort and again risk that it takes to join a startup uh, has to be has to be worth it. You, you got to have passion for what you're doing. And so uh, when I met with them in, in the course of an hour conversation, absolutely fell in love with the idea, with the product, with what they were building. And I knew tech very well, so it was a f- familiar ground to me in that respect. And then thirdly. They had raised their first angel round and their Series A, so they had just raised the round of capital and and were, in my opinion, well capitalized for what they were trying to build. Uh, so that was that was a point of of you know sort certainly mis, uh, risk mitigation for me coming in, and those are the things that I think any any investor or any good any CFO would would want to assess in terms of taking on the risk. So tell us what they're up to. What is the product or service, and and what is the the company's competitive edge, really? Sure. So modernizing medicine has a has actually a suite of products and services that serve uh, specialty markets in the healthcare space, and so we are in eight specialty markets, uh, starting out in dermatology, and and later roll, through the la- the last five or six years, rolling out uh, the seven seven other specialties. We have a, a, a very innovative cloud-based mobile technology that captures clinical data at the point of care in the hands of providers and can produce information on clinical outcomes in these specialties better than any other product out there for, for so many reasons uh, in, in, in a way that actually saves time for doctors. So on top of that, we now have solutions that that, that capture operational and financial information and data for the providers that will be critical for them in the in the new world of MIPS and MACRA and paper for performance uh, for for lower cost patient centered care not just uh, volume uh, so the platform is the fundamental suite is EHR practice management system we also have RCM services uh, that many of our competitors have but but our Platform is cloud-based mobile technology that is also native to the iPad and uh, unique data structure that allows us to capture those those bits of information that uh, will be incredibly important to these providers uh, over time. On top of that, the platform itself was built by doctors. So Michael Sterling is a doctor, still a practicing dermatologist, who's one of our founders. But since then, we've hired on staff. Uh, 
17 other providers who practice medicine anywhere from one to four days a week, and they work here with us the other one to four days a week, actually coding the software. So out of the box, our medical, our, our software comes um, built with medical content that's that's coded by these physicians who use it in their practices every day, and and it's unique to these specialties. So, so these dermatologists or ophthalmologists or orthopedic surgeons who use our product have a product that's unique and built for them by their peers. Uh, and those, those physicians who work with us are connecting with our, with our customers day in and day out. And, and so the network itself helps to build the enhancements in the product as we go. What numbers are you looking at day to day here? What are the key metrics that you rely on to understand that the company's growing the way it should, performing the way it should? So the key metrics that we track from a financial perspective are, are those of, of a SaaS company, the fundamental SaaS metrics that any SaaS technology company, I believe, would want to track. Certainly cash, cash is king uh, in any startup in business, and that's something we watch regularly. But on top of that, we track committed monthly recurring revenue as one of our key metrics we track churn, we track uh, customer acquisition cost. So the four C's, as I call them, cash, VMRR, churn, and uh, customer acquisition. Those are, the, those are the, the metrics that I wake up looking at that I track weekly, monthly, quarterly. How widely are those shared uh, within the company today? We're certainly a transparent organization, but we also fundamentally believe that unless every employee understands what those KPIs are, if, they're, if, if they understand what are the key metrics that drive the business, they can be making decisions every day around optimizing those metrics. So we share them widely and loudly. Uh, as, as much as we can. With, we have monthly meetings with an all-employee uh, meeting every month, and we share the progress on those metrics, um, the good, the bad, and the ugly, um, so that we can use the, the, the brain power of every last individual here to kind of drive them. So you've resided inside SaaS organizations for some time. So it might be interesting for you to reflect back uh, to your time in public accounting, and how do you view the role of finance within organizations changing? What's what's different? What's going to influence the path uh, finance takes in the future and the role it plays? Sure. Yeah, and I think for me, you know, when I once when I came into Vario out of public accounting, Vario was a SaaS company as well in the early days, and so I've I've been living in this world for a long time. And in terms of the metrics, they're actually very similar. What I will say is incredibly different today is our access to data. There is we are swimming in data in every aspect of the organization, and I think every organization is experiencing this to the point where it's much more difficult now than it once was to actually separate the the signal from the noise. So we have much more access to the data that's in our platform, so utilization by our providers of the platform. Um, you know, we can get any kind of metric that I could dream up. We could get because it's available to us because there is so much technology out there that we use, that we buy, that we subscribe to ourselves and in our own platform that it can, things can get really interesting because you can ask questions 
you didn't used to be able to ask or couldn't get answers to easily. Uh, and so what I, what we challenge ourselves with every day is making sure we ask the right questions. Uh, the fundamental metrics are always there. I think those four that I mentioned from day one and for a long time have been fundamental metrics of SaaS companies. But, but understanding in any particular organization what drives those particular metrics can be different. And it, we could spend a lot of time looking at something like, you know, customer hold times when maybe those only impact the, the KPIs in a very small way. But because we have access to so much information, it just is very, it's much easier now to get lost in the noise because there's just so much data. And that's really interesting. So it sounds like a key role that finance plays is helping uh, make certain the right questions are being asked. It would be very easy for a company to misfire by uh, interpreting the data or asking the wrong question for whatever reason. It might seem strategically smart, but it's missing the point. You have time and effort potentially being spent on impacting or improving a metric that maybe doesn't have a big impact on on CMRR, on cash, or on customer acquisition cost. Um, so, so really understanding what are the levers there are important. And I think second to that is that it's not just a finance operation that is wallowing in data. It's marketing. It's HR. We have more HR data than, than we've ever had. HR was every function of the organization is a, is a, is a data-driven function today as opposed to what it was before. So, so I think the finance function has expanded in, because we've always used data um, to help the rest of the organization really know how to, how to find their own KPIs, how to interpret them, how to analyze them, and how to best use them. And I use HR as a particular example because that's one that m many people don't don't think about in terms of data and metrics. Uh, Google Google is a company that sort of leads the way in terms of really leveraging HR metrics to drive their business. Uh, I want to touch on HR with you because this company has grown to over 500 employees mm -hmm. uh, today. So, and you knew it, you arrived there, you mentioned 20 employees mm -hmm. at the time. So just enormous amount of growth. But what are the HR metrics that you as a, as a finance leader are paying attention to today? Well, certainly, I mean, for us, some of the fundamental HR metrics are around turnover, voluntary and involuntary turnover. Um, and, and we, and, and we have, you know, traditional surveys that we do regularly to keep our, uh, keep our fingers on the pulse of kind of the culture. Uh, so yes, we absolutely track, um, those fundamental data. The other, other things that we look at, and in fact, I think we've been exploring are, uh, are the products, the software companies that are out there that allow you to keep, um, your, for example, your finger on the pulse of culture in a much more um, organic way. So it's not sort of a, a, a quarterly or annual employee survey, but rather, uh, you know, click the button, check in, how am I feeling today? And tracking measures like that from employees that can take, you know, one second out of their day to, to to click a button. Um, we're seeing that technology coming more and more and, and really interesting for us. From an HR perspective, it's, we are, we are a company that pays strong attention to culture. Uh, we've been very fortunate over the years to have low attrition rates 
and uh, we attribute that to the culture that we deliberately try to maintain every day. It's 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 not something that we that happens organically uh, necessarily. We we take steps to make sure uh, that we're maintaining it as as we grow, and and that absolutely gets harder as we have disparate uh, locations and and more and more people. But that's been that that active attention to maintaining the culture that we had when we were 20 employees is uh, is keeping us uh, keeping those turnover rates low and, and keeping our employees happy. Uh, we'd love to know a little bit about how you've collaborated with uh, the human resource function as finance has grown, so has HR clearly in a company with 500 employees today. Could you share uh, some of how you've collaborated along the way with, with HR? Sure. And and when I joined the company, there was no HR person at, at all. So I... I Source. The, the first, actually, the first person we hired in the HR world was a recruiter, uh, and then secondly, we hired an HR director. Uh, so, and that function has reported to me just by the nature of the fact that it's on my team. There's natural co- collaboration, but but ongoing. I, our finance team, our accounting team, and our HR teams work hand in hand. In fact, uh, every day, I think there are. Um, there are projects that impact each other. One of one of them in particular is around scalability companies. So we, as you've mentioned, we've grown from you know very small to 500 employees in five years or five and a half years. And so having visibility to the needs of the company is is incredibly important. We you know we, we're constantly trying to strike the balance of of you know not overhiring but never never being behind the ball. And so providing Forecasts and visibility to HR so that they are prepared to hire the right employees at the right times is, is critical. Uh, I, I often refer to it as the small twitch muscles in the organization. We have to be regularly assessing the needs and providing visibility from the finance team out to the entire rest of the organization, but HR in particular because we need to hire people. Uh, out to ideally we're looking out a year at any given time, at what those headcount needs are throughout the organization. The last thing we want to we want to do is have to take our foot off the pedal in growth because we don't have enough resources to deliver. Karen, can you share a moment of strategic insight with us that you experienced as a finance leader that may have led you uh, to point your team in a different direction or uh, reveal a, a new opportunity to the company? What would that have been? Sure. I, I can sh- share a moment. It's it's not necessarily related to having looked at metrics or financial information or otherwise, but um, it was more uh, from a market and strategic perspective, and it, it actually was here at Modernizing Medicine. Back several years ago, when the company was, came into the market, we had one product, um, and, and deliberately so, and w- were growing at a rapid speed, um, penetrating the market with the, with the EHR, uh, and, and very successful at that. But at, at some po- point along the way, um, as those, as the market, looking at market penetration rates and, um, you know, visibility forward into kind of where the market was headed, uh, we knew that there was going to come a time that we needed to broaden this product suite and that our customers were going to, 
ultimately wind up with a number of vendors serving them for what is what are fundamental needs of their business, both on the clinical and operational side. And so when it was it was sort of on an airplane when I was reading an article just around the market itself that I thought we needed to make a move and start to deliver uh, what are revenue cycle products uh, before we really had a platform to deliver on ourselves. So we actually went out to market with a revenue cycle product. This is so specific to the industry, so uh, hopefully others can relate. But the, the, the but the idea was we came into something to serve our, our constituents who trusted us in these markets with a product that allowed allowed us to sell before we were fundamentally um, had all of our ducks in a row, so to speak. So that that concept of, of sort of leaping before you're necessarily ready. So, it, but doing it in, in a measured and and thoughtful way. Um, we we were able to come into the market with an RCM product, uh, partnering with one of our our practice management partners, and and that's been one of the fastest growing parts of this business. And I think had we waited until we had our own platform on which to grow that business, we would have missed a, missed a fair amount of opportunity because that was the time that the market was changing and looking for new looking for uh, consolidation of their of their partners and vendors for this product suite. So. Uh, it was it was certainly a, a sort of moment on a plane that strategically kind of drove a direction of the business that was very important at that time. Uh, I, along with I'm sure all of the CFOs who are who are listening out there, uh, have a hard time sort of taking individual credit for driving that individual change um, because of that one moment. Because I think all of us know that this is. You know, building strategic change in the organization is not is never about one person's you know moment. And so, uh, when you ask that question again, I think the thing that we can all relate to is that um, you know we have those we do have those moments all the time, and they're they're often you know not mon- monumental. In my mind, the CFO role it is about that constant in a state of discontentment, I guess is what I call it, chronic discontentment. And so looking at the metrics with new eyes every day and understanding what small changes make the most difference over time. So I, I share with you the aha moment, but with that caveat that I think the, the, the really important thing about this role is that consistent evaluation and never, never being complacent. What's one thing that's exciting you about finance and business today? I think it's a, it's very much what we talked about already. What excites me about finance and business is that we have the tools to sort of measure the metrics and analyze the, the financials. And it's what we grew up doing. It's what we know how to do in our sleep. And more and more businesses are relying on, as I said, relying on data to drive improvement, to drive growth, to drive uh, profitability. And because we have so much data at our fingertips, CFOs and finance leaders have have been doing this their entire careers and are in a position to really teach the organization company wide on how to how to optimize uh, using data. And I think that's true of any organization, whether it's 
retail or, you know, our physicians themselves. It's not just tech companies that, that, you know, that have this. There's, there's so much information available. And I think we're, I'm, I'm excited about the fact that, you know, finance leaders are, are moving out of the sort of corner, you know, uh, number crunching role to being truly operational um, and having a much broader influence on the, on the operations of the company uh, than we have in the past. What do you wish someone had told you at the start of your CFO career? What someone had told me at the start of my career, I wish someone had told me that uh, I'm going to make a lot of mistakes and that that's a good thing. (laughs) What personal habit do you believe has contributed to your professional success? I'm thinking more of sort of my personality traits rather than my habits. But uh, I guess one flows into the other. It goes back to the idea of knowing that mistakes are a good thing. Having been resilient has has really enabled me to stretch and get out of my comfort zone because I'm not not afraid to to fail. Finance thought leaders don't go anywhere. We're about to ask our finance leader guest for their business priorities over the next 12 months. But first, permit us 30 seconds to thank our sponsor. The business landscape is changing quickly. As the pressure to manage expenses efficiently and strategically increases, you need solutions that not only help drive down costs and improve efficiencies, but meet the changing needs of your business. At U.S. Bank, we can help. We'll work with you to uncover your specific payment challenges and bring you proactive and innovative solutions and strategies that help you meet the financial goals of your organization. Our commitment to doing the right thing for our customers has earned us the designation of one of the world's most ethical companies from the Ethisphere Institute for six years in a row. To learn more, visit us at usbpayment.com. Final question. What are your priorities as a finance leader over the next 12 months? Scalability. So it's particular to modernizing medicine because we're growing so quickly, but it is always about making sure this company has an operational and financial foundation that will serve a company that is bigger than it is today. So I I want to make sure that when we get to where we're going to be in a year, that we'll be ready. And and there are, so visibility is a huge part of that. And I'd say, I, I, you know, that's a very generic kind of answer to your question in terms of priorities. But it's it's what I think about every day. Where are we going to be in a year? And what do I have to do today to make sure that we can that we can have a solid foundation for that, whether that's capital or people or technology or information. That's what I think about every day. Karen O'Burn, thank you for joining us on CFO Thought Leader. Thanks very much for having me. It's been a pleasure.
Thought Leader listeners, whether you've already ascended into the ranks of finance leaders or have only just begun the journey, your professional narrative needs a reboot. Join our email list at cfothoughtleader.com and receive my latest email series, Finance and the Power of Narrative. It's time to mobilize the past to achieve your goals. Thank you for listening.